My name is David. I'm one of the leaders here at Redeemer. It's really good to really good to have you. If you're new, you're really welcome here. Um, I, as I say, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak this this morning. We're starting a new a new series. Uh, it's been a it's been a good week. It's been a really full week for us as a community. We had a good night, as Matt was saying, on Wednesday night. We had a prayer and worship night, which was great on Wednesday night. We started those back up once a month. Um, uh, it was great to just gather together and worship um, in God's presence. Um, I'd really love to encourage you. Get, we'll be pushing those dates out by email next week. Um, get uh, get along to the next one, 20th of February, um, and the third Wednesday of every month up until summer at least. We've got those plans, so we're really looking forward to those. And then we had a great uh, morning yesterday with some of our wider leaders downstairs. We gathered and we had some teaching, some learning. It was a learning day for our wider leaders, and we were talking a lot about spiritual practices and, and some of the things around the future in 2019 for us as a church, which was really great. So we've had a really fun fun week and there's been other stuff going on in our community as well. Um, as I was saying, we're starting a new series today in the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, why not open it up there to Matthew 5? That would be awesome. In fact, who here would love to come and read this for me? Come on, who's, who would love to come up and read Matthew 5, 1 to 12? Don't be shy. I've got a microphone. Somebody's going to say yes, not leave me hanging here. I'm going to pick on somebody. Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and are all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Awesome. I'll take this back off. Let's put our hands together for Marcus. Thank you for reading that for us. If I was to say to you the upside down, um, some of you fans of Netflix series Stranger Things might start to know what I'm talking about. If you've watched that series, I've watched it. Um, I love it. If you're into a little bit of 80s style sci-fi and nostalgia, Stranger Things is a really good watch. And the upside down in that show is, uh, without spoiling it, it's this name of an alternative dimension um, that exists in that universe, in that world, parallel to the human world that we know. Um, an alternative dimension that exists in parallel to the human world and in a strange way, no pun intended, um, this isn't a bad definition. Actually, I don't think of this thing that we talk about here in Redeemer, um, the kingdom of God, um, an alternative dimension, an alternative world. Um, we're, we've just read from, from Matthew, from the Gospel of Matthew. We're back in, in Matthew this time last year. If you remember, if you're part of this community, we were looking through this gospel as well on Sundays in a series called The Way. We were journeying through the Sermon on the Mount, um, which was exploring this upside-down kingdom of God. This is 
in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' greatest piece of teaching, his manifesto, his, uh, his way of being, his politic, his ethic, um, his way of being human in the world. And so we're revisiting Matthew, we're back in it. We felt, actually, we want to get back into Matthew. Between now and Easter, we're going to be there because we're going to look at this little prologue that comes just before the Sermon on the Mount, which we've just heard Marcus read. And that is called the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes or the Blessings. So each week between now and Easter, um, myself and the rest of our preaching team, we're going to be bringing one of those a week. We're going to get looking at that. I don't know about you, but growing up, I was raised, I was raised in the church when I was younger, growing up. Even if you weren't raised in the church, perhaps the dominant story of Christianity that you heard was that you had to pray to God to be saved so that when you died, you were assured of going to heaven, which is a kind of magical place in the sky somewhere. Sort of like Christianity was like life insurance or death insurance or fire insurance or some kind of metaphor there. That it was all about the afterlife and sort of ensuring yourself you're going to go to the good place where Kristen Bell is not there or is there. I don't know if you've seen that other Netflix show. Too many Netflix references for one morning. Like a golden ticket or an insurance policy, it was like this investment that you made. But very little was said about life before death as a Christian. It was all about going to heaven, this place called heaven. So being saved in faith so that we go somewhere that wasn't this earth. It was, only that, it was only as I grew up, as I was getting older, as I began to look at the Gospels, that I sort of noticed that Jesus spoke not so much about the afterlife as he did about the here and the now. This life that we're in now, he spoke not so much about leaving earth to go to heaven, but more about heaven coming to earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what I began to realize is that the gospel Jesus came to bring was this gospel of the kingdom of God, this gospel of the upside down, this gospel of the alternative dimension, as it were, that it was not about this future heavenly thing, but it was about an earthly present here and now for my life, for this world. God didn't so much want to get me into heaven as he wanted to get heaven into me. And you sort of see that in Matthew 4, 17, just before the passage that Marcus read, which we're going to look at. It says this, from that, from that time on, Jesus was beginning his ministry, repent. Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So growing up, I, I, uh, I began to see that Jesus was interested in this world and, and seeing this world made whole and made just and made right um, by the coming of of this thing coming near, this kingdom of God was coming near. I began to realize that, that, that heaven, or that the, that, the, that the kingdom of God, sorry, was not this disembodied bliss of a platonic heaven, but it was God's alternative arrangement for human society. That it was, Jesus had come to inaugurate, he'd become to start this kingdom of God, this way of being in the world here and now, being fully human, healed, whole, and flourishing in a world that was made, well, the vision was that the world was, would be made fair and just and good and right and peaceful and harmonious. The word for that being shalom, shalom would be restored to all creation. And this was a very different idea to the one that I'd been 
taught growing up, which was really about this world being sort of destroyed uh, at the heart of it. Christians being whisked away to heaven and safety. This, this, this vision of the kingdom of God was a much more compelling, bigger vision of God putting the world to rights, um, healing the world, restoring it to its intended state where, it would, where the world would be a peaceful region of God, God's rule, where evil darkness would be gone, where sickness and disease would end, and where tears would be washed away. So I don't know about you, I think, I think our world could do with a little bit of that vision. I don't know about you, a little bit more shalom, a little bit more of the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, I hope you would agree. Um, so that shift in my thinking was in a really important shift for me, understanding faith and, and reality. And it was important because I never really knew what to do with the Beatitudes, the blessed are the, the blessings that Marcus just read out, or the Sermon on the Mount, with that sort of view of being whisked away to heaven. I didn't really know what to do with them, having an understanding of, of the gospel uh, as the good news that Jesus came to pronounce a way of being on the earth. Now that did connect. And I was, but I was, before that shift, I was confused about these teachings in, G, in Matthew. I saw the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount, I suppose as nice sayings, platitudes about good behavior and so on. I suppose it would be worth at this point asking the question, well, what are these Beatitudes? What are they? Um, simply put, um, there are eight blessings. Blessed are, we have to get that right. But it's worth saying that, well, we have to get the understanding of, of what the Beatitudes actually are. What does that word blessed mean? Let's start there. Let's start where it, what, it, what it doesn't mean. It, it doesn't mean hashtag blessed. <laughs> there ain't no hashtag blessed in the scriptures. Let's just deal with that up front. Um, taking a picture of your beautiful life and sharing it with the world, haven't we all done that? Um, and tagging it with hashtag blessed is not what Jesus has in mind in the Beatitudes. We'll just clear the decks with that one. There's two words for blessed. The Greek word eulogio, I think that's the way you pronounce it, related to the Hebrew word baraka in the Old Testament. That's a word for blessed. And that sort of means when a worship leader or a spiritual leader um, asks God for a blessing for an individual or a community eager to receive from God, you know, something like bless the sick, bless the children. That's not the word that's in the Beatitudes. That is a word for bless, but that's not the meaning of the word blessed or the poor and spirit, blessed are the meek, and so on. The word in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 is a Hebrew word, asir, or makorius is the Greek word for that, which doesn't mean to wish or invoke a blessing as much as it means to just describe reality, to describe an already existing reality of happiness or good fortune. Some of you all know the, the, the translation of the Bible, the message, Eugene Peterson, uh, a brilliant author, translated the whole Bible into his own version. And he used, instead of the word blessed, he wanted to use the word lucky because he reckoned it was just more accurate. It was getting at the idea of describing it. You're lucky if you're pure in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. 
publisher didn't agree with that, so it doesn't say that in the message. You don't have to look that up. It doesn't say lucky, but he wanted to say, he wanted to use the word lucky. The publisher, I think, felt that it probably had other connotations to the word lucky and wouldn't maybe sell as many, I don't know. But he and his uh, a video that I saw, a candid video, he talked about how that word really means lucky, happy, or like, yeah, like the old Syriac translation, which means happy it is for the poor in spirit that theirs is the kingdom of God. It's describing a reality. It's not invoking a wish as such, or bless them sort of thing. So blessing or blessed in this, in the Beatitudes, is the describing of some kind of quality of spirituality that is already present. So let's talk about what the Beatitudes are not then. It's not Jesus saying nice things. It's not platitudes that can be put on a wall calendar or a bumper sticker, but it's a description of a type of people, a type of people. There are eight Beatitudes. Marcus just read them all, or nine, depending on how you count them. There's a couple over in Luke as well, in the Luke's Gospel. But the Beatitudes, these eight descriptions, they're, they're, they're not actually describing eight different types of people. It's a description of a people, of a beatitude people, of one people, um, a people that already possess the kingdom of God. Do you see that, the difference there? That the beatitudes are not just platitudes. And they're not just ways of earning God's favor, earning the kingdom of God. They're simply a description of the kind of people that are in the kingdom of God already. They're not eight ways of behavior that we get to perform. They're not laws or rules. The kingdom of God has come into the world through Jesus. And God is bringing a radical change to the accepted order of the world. To the way the world is ranked. The way the world is viewed the way the world is ordered and the Beatitudes therefore, these verses that we just read, they're like an announcement of that change. Blessed are the poor in spirit. These Beatitudes, these blessings, Redeemer, are the values of the kingdom of God and they're subversive. They're shocking. They're either shockingly inspiring or they're shockingly threatening. They're either shockingly affirming or they're confusing. It all depends where you're standing and how you're looking at it. It all depends if you can find yourself described in those blessings. If these values are not describing your way of being, then maybe the Beatitudes are like a threat. They're unsettling. They agitate, they confuse, they're incendiary. Brian Zahn says this, The Beatitudes are deliberately designed to shock us. If we're not shocked by the Beatitudes, it's only because we've tamed them with a patronizing sentimentality. And being sentimental about Jesus is the religious way of ignoring Jesus. Too often the Beatitudes are set aside into this category of, quote, nice things that Jesus said that I don't really understand. (laughs) That was my story growing up. Because I grew up with, to use a big word, that dispensational eschatology, that view of the future being quite, in a sense, negative or platonic, that I would be taken away to some other place, that the Christian story, that was it in a nutshell. Pray to God and you're going to go to heaven. That was my view. Until my shift changed and I realized that Jesus had come to preach the kingdom of God here on earth. 
My problem was that I didn't understand why maybe you had to tame those Beatitudes or maybe even ignore them. I didn't know what to do with them because they describe this reality on earth. It doesn't really look like that heavenly view that I have been brought up with. With the view of the kingdom of God in mind, with the shift having taken place, the Beatitudes come to life. The Beatitudes describe this alternative arrangement of society, this reordering that God is doing on the earth. Human society, as we know nowadays, the world is arranged. There are wealthy and powerful and those in charge and then there's everybody else. And this radical arrangement that God was instituting through Jesus was a completely sociological, political move and it had everything to do with this world and the way that the world was organized and the way the people were organized the way that we valued the world and ranked the world and how God views the world and ranks the world. It just depended on where you were standing. If you were standing on the mount that day, listening to Jesus, announce the kingdom by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who mourn. If you, if you were there and you heard this from Jesus and you were a Roman citizen in a powerful position politically, then the Beatitudes represented a real threat to your idea of power, a real threat to your idea of how the world is ordered and who's on top and who's in charge, a real threat to the idea of empire. Or if you were uh, standing listening to Jesus on the mount that day as he announced the kingdom of God had come, by preaching, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are mourn. And you were not a Roman citizen, but you were a, ro- a religious Jewish leader, a zealot or a Pharisee, and you had this notion of the types of people who would be included in the new kingdom of God, the observers of the law, the righteous, the noble, the clean, the chosen few. Then the Beatitudes again represented a threat to your idea of how the world is ordered according to God. Because God's kingdom, as we see in these eight short blessings, very, very different values to the way that first century Roman occupied Palestine was organized and very, very different values to the way our world today is organized and all of the kingdoms and cultures of this world. So I want to propose, I suppose, that the kingdom of God is in fact, yes, like an alternative parallel universe. The upside down, the upside down kingdom, where those people that you think would be blessed or included or first are actually last. And those people that you think should be last and excluded are actually Blessed, lucky, happy. God's big move in Jesus is to flip our notion of how the world is organized and who gets to inherit and possess the kingdom of God. The currency is totally different in the kingdom of God. So let's delve in. Let's see how this actually works out because I hear you ask, how does this actually work out? The spirit of God says, blessed are, the spirit of the world says, blessed are the proud Blessed are the rich, blessed are the powerful, the intelligent, the clever, the strong-willed. Blessed are the winners, blessed are the champions. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those hungering for the world to be made right. Blessed are the merciful, the pure-hearted, the persecuted, the peacemakers. Jesus directly challenges the spirit of this world. Upside down. It's a paradox. The economy of God is upside down. And it is a threat depending on where you're standing. Let's delve further. Let's consider this very first one, will we? Let's move through. Matthew 5, verse 3. Let's take the first beatitude and have a look at that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. What is that phrase? We now know what that, that word blessed means. It's a description of the kinds of, of people God is just talking about that inherit and possess his kingdom. What does the phrase poor in spirit mean? Well, it's been uh, debated um, what that actually means. Does that phrase poor in spirit actually mean poor, as in cannot eat or feed themselves? Um, does it have to do with your financial income? And In fact, it's, it's, it's a little bit more than that. The original Hebrew describes poor in spirit more like a poverty of spirit, like a humility. It's actually referencing, it's Jesus actually borrowing the borrowing phrases from Isaiah 66, verse two. Let me read that verse to you. It says this in Isaiah, has not my hand made all these things so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. If you were a Jewish leader or a Jewish person listening to Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Isaiah 66 verse two would have came to mind. You knew exactly what he was talking about. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit who tremble at my word. A.W. Tozer describes poverty of spirit then as this, an inward state that parallels the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets. These Blessed, poor, are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They've broken the power of money and possessions that the world values. They've broken the yoke of the oppressor. And they've done this not by fighting, but by surrendering. That's what poverty of spirit. We're describing the internal condition of those who have a poverty of spirit. Those free from all sense of possessing. Yet they possess all things because they possess the kingdom of God. So here's another thing that that verse doesn't mean. It's not a platitude. It's not a means of behavior. It's also not blessing poverty because we know poverty in society is a sickness of, of society. And God wants to reverse that. We've discussed that already. Remember, blessed means a happiness, a description of good fortune in the current reality. And the second line of the beatitude, the inheritance as it were, is not a reward for the first line. It's not, a, it's not a reward system. It's not behavior and reward. Possessing the kingdom of God is not a reward for being poor in spirit, but it's describing this spiritual reality. That those who are poor in spirit are already in a strange way, upside down way, living a lucky life according to this kingdom of God value system. Maybe this will help us understand this a little bit better. 
Here's, here's a, a pastor in America who's done a paraphrase of this. Um, Stephanie helpfully sent to me. Um, I think she used it last year when she was speaking on this. And um, Brian Zahn says this, blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual for the kingdom of God is well suited for ordinary people. I like that. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual for the kingdom of God is well suited for ordinary people. You see, Redeemer, the spirit of this world, if we are tuned into it, we see it everywhere. It blesses the cocky and the self-confident. Those who know they can do it, those who are certain that they know how to do it, all on their own. Those who want to be number one, who want to top the org chart above all else, who want to rule the world, who want to make their country great again who want to look down on others, the proud, the arrogant, the winners, the go-getters, the hustlers, the strivers, the certain, the know-it-alls, the strong and the rich and the powerful, the way that the world is constructed. And then Jesus turns it upside down and says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What does that really mean for us? Are you today not overflowing with self-confidence and certitude in your own life, Jesus says you're blessed. Are you constantly ruling yourself out? Jesus said you're blessed, you're lucky. Are you ruling yourself out of playing a part in God's kingdom? Do you feel sometimes you're not educated enough or spiritual enough? You're not an expert in the spiritual things. You struggle to pray eloquently, publicly, or do great things for God. Jesus says you're blessed. You're first in his kingdom. Maybe you're plagued with self-doubt. You're not cocky or self-assured or powerful. You're blessed. You're first in through the gate. Are you sometimes not sure that you could even make it through? Poor in spirit humble, contrite in heart, you're blessed. I say this seriously, actually. Maybe you just, you look at the world of social media and your game's not strong. Your popularity's not high. You're not playing that game. Hashtag blessed. Your social kudos is not high. Or you want it to be. Or you feel like an outsider. Jesus said, blessed are you for yours is the kingdom of God. You're in. You're first. It's your lucky day. Jesus said, blessed are you for the kingdom belongs to you. Do you remember the apostle Paul? Second Corinthians 12, he says this. Second Corinthians 12 says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you my power is made perfect in what strength? In wealth? No, in riches? No, in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content, weirdly, with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, I am strong. It's just so counterintuitive. It's so upside down. It's so backward. It's the great reversal that the grace of Christ is found in weakness, 
and poverty, poverty of spirit, not in strength and might and wealth in the way that the world is ordered that we live in. Charles Spurgeon says, the way to rise in the kingdom is to sink into ourselves. The first will be last and the last will be first. Or as Mary sang in her prophetic song, the Magnificat about the Messiah, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is the spirit of the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. There's a great book on this. If you want to read more about this, I really recommend Dallas Willard's Divine Conspiracy. It's a game changer. You haven't read it, you should really read it. It's an amazing book. Dallas proposes that the Beatitudes, as we've already discussed this morning, are not these virtues. And it's not virtue signaling. But they're proclamations that the people before Jesus on that mountain that day were blessed because they were disciples of Jesus. They're announcements that are instructive to those who can hear that those who are in a deplorable condition a weak condition are actually blessed in spite of that because the kingdom of heaven has been opened to them by Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is open to you today if that is where you're at. The Beatitudes according to Dallas Willard then are proof that in Jesus the rule of God from the heavens is truly available in all life circumstances that are beyond human hope. That Belonging to Jesus and his kingdom. The first are last and the last are first. And that is hope for us today. The kingdom of God is for the hopeless. Amen. Because of Jesus. Because of our connection to Jesus. We find ourselves belonging to this new community of the way, the beatitude people. And this new announcement of the kingdom of God. Stanley Harawas He's an American theologian and he said that the Beatitudes are a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. To be a people centered around Jesus, which is what we hope and desire to be in Redeemer, to be a Christ-centered people here, means to live a Beatitude life with an understanding of the world that is upside down, that the first are last and the last are first, that to be weak is to be strong. And so, Redeemer, by following the teachings of the Beatitudes and valuing the values of the kingdom of God, as a community then, we actually become a viable alternative to the way the world set up, to the current day politics, the power struggles, the commercial interests, the religious power, and everything else that we deal with in our individual lives. You see, Redeemer, the spirit of the world takes but the kingdom of God gives, serves. The spirit of the world steals, but the kingdom of God gives. The spirit of the world gloats, the kingdom of God blesses. The spirit of the world shows off, but the kingdom of God loves. The spirit of the world is top down. The kingdom of God is ordinary people from the grassroots up. The spirit of the world is for the strong, for the winners. The kingdom of God is for the humble and the forgotten. The spirit of the world is proud and ugly. The kingdom of God is humble 
is dignified, is beautiful, and is disarming. Spirit of this world is to puff up and to humble brag. The kingdom of God is unseen, like a mustard seed, like yeast, and it transforms. The spirit of the world, the spirit of the world kills. The kingdom of God is without coercion, but persuades with love and witness and the spirit and reason and rhetoric and if needs be martyrdom but never by force. The spirit of the world is sometimes cocky, confident, proud and seeks power and that is the very spirit that sent Jesus to a cross to his death. The ultimate act of prayer and spirit, Jesus humbling himself on a cross the threat of Jesus' kingdom and this upside down kingdom is challenging the status quo of empire, the status quo of religious fundamentalists of his day. But Jesus shows us at the cross that the ultimate act of love came not through power or strength, but through his humility, his poverty of spirit, his subjecting himself to the powers and playing the biggest reversal we've seen, upside down kingdom, conquering the powers of this world, not by violence or returning violence with violence or fighting or overpowering, but by submitting in weakness. Jesus subverted the spirit of this world. He subverted evil and death to set up a kingdom that operates very, very differently today. So if you're poor in spirit today, if you're tired today, if you're struggling today, if you're counting yourself out today, if you're not sure you're, you're good enough today, or spiritual enough today, or eloquent or educated enough, it's good news. For yours is the kingdom of God.